There is no I in team, but there is in Quidditch. You're listening to the Quibbler Podcast, the Harry Potter book club for ball hogs. Cormac McLaggen, Keeper. We met on the train in all sluggish compartment. You didn't try out last year, did you? Asked Harry, taking note of the breadth of McLaggen and thinking that he would probably block all three goal hoops without even moving. I was in the hospital wing when they held the trials, said McLaggen with something of a swagger. Eat a pound of doxy eggs for a bet. I'm Heather Price Wright. And I'm Alex Dallenberg. I thought that intro was very funny. I'm glad you did. You didn't play test it on me before you did it. No, I so I got came to hear up with it, it raw. in a very long shower. <laughs> Nothing. I was just sitting in the shower thinking about Quidditch, as you do, <laughs> as as we do. This week, uh, we are still reading Harry Potter and the Half Blood Prince. Though I gotta say, this book feels significantly less interminable than either the last two. Or so, Twilight New Moon. Oh my god. Which this episode's going to come out like two weeks after the Twilight special, but we recorded it this morning because we're actually ahead on the podcast for like once. We're being extremely responsible. Yeah. Twilight was rough. Also, this is episode 69. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> Terrible. Um, so this week we are reading the chapters called Hermione's Helping Hand. Ooh, speaking of 69. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> and I guess that's not the actual mechanism. No, but that's not how that works at all. Yuck. Wow, this is really adult, actually. We haven't even gotten to the adult themes yet. Uh, Hermione's Helping Hand and Silver and Opals. You have already heard uh, Sexual Innuendo. You will also hear, is that even Innuendo? That was just like... That's the soft part, loud. <laughs> um, you will also hear spoilers and plenty of cursing and some additional adult themes. This week's adult themes are episode 69, roid rage, trial and error, pet insurance, unexplored feelings, and secondhand gifts. Alex, what happened this week? In this week's chapters, Harry is getting ready to hold Quidditch tryouts, his first tryouts as team captain. But before that, the gang are reading a newspaper at, like, probably breakfast. They're usually reading the newspaper at breakfast when they find out that Stan Shunpike, the... Is he, like, the conductor of the night bus? The conductor of the night bus has been arrested under suspicion of being a Death Eater, which Harry basically thinks Stan has been set up. Or that he was just kind of bragging at a bar because he's sort of a braggadocious dude. So Harry thinks, yeah, you know, he's like a good working class guy. Like, that kind of person could never be a fascist. <laughs> uh, Jesus. But, you know, <laughs> blue collar. The wizard working class. Also, this episode is coming out after the midterms, but we're now before the midterms, so... So we don't know what's going to happen we'll in the future. We'll see future oh. selves... Hope you're doing okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, Harry holds Quidditch tryouts, and they're kind of a shit show because a whole bunch of people are trying out basically just to get, like, a look at Harry because he's Jesus now, um, the chosen one. Obviously, Katie Bell and Ginny Weasley make the team. Ginny tries out to be a chaser. There's a new chaser, Demelza Robbins, but the biggest drama 
is the battle for the keeper position between Ron Weasley and but 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 motherfucking Cormac McClagan. I had to take out all our references to Cormac McClagan a couple episodes ago because we were calling him Cormac McFlagan. Oh, we were? Yeah. Cormac McClagan. It's Cormac McClagan. Such a douchey name. Not Cormac McFlagan. <laughs> but anyway. McFlagan is a funny name. <laughs> okay, Cormac Corm- Corm- McClagan is hard to say. Yes. But it's the broiest name of all. It really is. And Cormac is nothing if not a bro. He's like, yeah, I was like, the reason you haven't seen me in the book before is I was like eating like, do- like, Got in the hospital for eating, like, doxy droppings because it was, like, a bet or something. I don't know. They were playing, like, butterbeer pong or whatever. (laughs) Also, Cormac is fucking, like, built, so... So he should be a pretty good keeper. Yeah. So Harry has Ron and Cormac try out by each trying to block five penalty shots. Cormac saves every one of his, but on the final one, he veers off in the opposite direction of the quaffle... And then Ron saves all of his shots, and Ron is fucking keeper. So, yay, Ron. McClagan is furious with Harry and asks for another try, but Harry just curtly dismisses him. Later on, Harry notices that Cormac is acting kind of funny. He's, like, having trouble walking through, like, a door, and he realizes that he's been confunded. By whom? Probably by Hermione. Basically, Harry realizes that Hermione used the Confundus charm on McClagan in order to make sure that Ron becomes Keeper. The Golden Trio visit Hagrid, who's been avoiding them lately. They assume because he's super mad that they're not taking care of magical creatures. Uh, So they go over there. Hagrid doesn't answer the door. Harry then threatens to blow the fucking door off the hinges if Hagrid doesn't open. So then he opens the door and he's like, Potter, I'm a teacher. It's the first time he's ever called him Potter. So there's some tension there. But eventually Hagrid has them come in. He makes them a fucking giant kettle of tea. And we learn that the real reason Hagrid is so upset is that Aragog has like spider cancer. Aragog is like really sick. The giant spider from book two. You guys all know that. And he's probably going to die. So, you know, Hagrid and Aragog, they go way back. And Hagrid is just, like, Hagrid is distraught. It's his monster pal. Later on, Harry asks Hermione about the Confundus charm. And Hermione, like, basically admits to it. But she's super defensive because she says, You didn't want somebody like Cormac on the team anyway. He seems like a real hothead. He'd be, like, a terrible locker room guy. Super bad for team chemistry. So Harry's like, all right, fair point. Even though you cheated hardcore. But that's okay, because you're part of the group. Harry gets another invitation to the Slug Club. But he has to do detention with Snape instead even though Slughorn tries to get him out of it, which makes Harry's detention even worse. He has to, like, sort rotten flubber worms from, like, fresh ones without his gloves. So that's fucking disgusting. In the meantime, Harry's been experimenting with spells written in the margins of his potions textbook. It doesn't just contain, like, extra potion hacks. There's also, like, homebrew charms that the Half-Blood Prince has come up with. So he experiments with one, Levicorpus. He tries it out on Ron while he's sleeping. Ron is, like, suspended. (laughs) This is so rude. Yeah, what the fuck, Harry? It's a really rude 
moment. Ron is like lifted up and suspended by one foot over his bed, which at first freaks him out, but then he thinks it's fucking hilarious because Ron is also like a frat guy at heart. Hermione thinks that this is like really fucking sketchy and that Harry should knock it off because she says that, yeah, she says this Half-Blood Prince character seems kind of dodgy to me. You shouldn't be using just fucking spell, like, random spells that are written down. Like, who the fuck knows what that could do? Especially because they're, like, all prank spells. Yeah. Like, he hasn't found, like, a just a useful one yet. But Harry's like, I don't know, like, the Half-Blood Prince seems like he's got, like, a good sense of humor. Oh, wait, there is one useful one. The, I want to say Muffalata, but I know that's a sandwich. <laughs> the Muffalata spell. <laughs> uh, is it Muffliato? Muffliato, something like that, yeah. <laughs> I want a Muffalata now really badly. That shit is good. The one that makes your ears buzz so you can't hear private conversations. It makes, makes you, other people's ears it buzz. It makes you really want an Italian sandwich so you can't focus on other people's conversations. Muffaletta's not really Italian. That's like a is New it? Orleans sandwich. It's, oh, it's New Orleans? Wow, shows you what I know. Well, look it up, but I'm pretty sure. We did a quick fact check on Muffaletta and... We're both right. Yeah, it is a sandwich that is like began with Italian immigrants in New Orleans. It's on like a Sicilian-style sesame bread. So um, I welcome any opportunity to expand my sandwich knowledge. (laughs) Anyway. Yeah, moving on. Everyone heads out on a weekend visit to Hogsmeade. It's really fucking snowy and cold and just generally uncomfortable. Also, a lot of the stores are like closed because we're in like a wizarding depression. Harry runs into Slughorn at Honeydukes. Slughorn asks him why he's been, like, ducking all of his parties. Harry says it's because he's been super fucking busy, like, doing Quidditch and being Harry Potter. Slughorn's like, I'll get you one of these days, young man. He's very, I'll like, get you, my pretty. <laughs> he's, uh, he's very, like, faux dramatic about it. Harry sees Mundungus Fletcher selling goblets and other knickknacks to the barkeep of the Hogshead. The kind of dive bar that's not the three brimsticks in Hogsmeade. Who is, in fact, fucking Aberforth Dumbledore. Which we'll find out next book, officially, but we know, unofficially. Which is exciting. That is very exciting. So there's some shit going on there. But for now, Harry is fucking livid because he recognizes the goblets as belonging to his late godfather, Sirius Black. So Mundungus just fucking, like, ransacked Grimold Place after Sirius died and has been pawning off all of his possessions, which now belong to Harry. But Harry doesn't really think about it like that because he still considers it as belonging to Sirius. So Harry, like, basically grabs Mundungus and, like, shoves him up against a wall and, like, goes all fucking... Christian Bale in the Dark Knight on him. Uh, he's like, where are those goblets from? (laughs) Return the goblets. Uh, but Mundungus then just apparates away. Hermione, Hermione and Ron, Hermione and Ron then drag Harry into the three broomsticks to try to calm him down with a soothing butterbeer. Basically, they decide that this fucking Hogsmeade trip has been a bust and decide to head back to the castle but as they're leaving they see katie bell and leanne arguing uh outside the bar and they're like fighting over this like package the package rips and katie bell touches whatever's inside of it and then is but but motherfucking lifted into the air and starts like screaming 
Uh, so chaos ensues. There's an opal necklace peeking through the packaging below her, they notice. Harry runs to get help. Uh, he gets Hagrid. Hagrid, like, scoops up Katie and runs her back to the castle. The trio ask Leanne what's hap- what happened. She said that Katie, like, came out of the bathroom with this package looking all funny, probably because she was under the influence of the Imperious Curse, and insisted that she had to take whatever was in this package back to the castle. Leanne told her that, no, that's a fucking terrible idea. If you see something, say something. We're supposed to be on the lookout for, like fucking suspicious unaccompanied packages and (laughs) (laughs) like this is the number one rule uh right now and so they got into a fight and then when they were fighting over this package it tore and that's when like fucking curse shit started to happen so harry wraps up the package in a scarf and takes it back to the castle they go to mcgonagall because dumbledore has been like basically like out for the last couple weeks nobody knows what Dumbledore Dumbledore's on one of his fucking Dumbledore errands Harry realizes that he saw the necklace at Borgen and Burke's while Draco was there and tells McGonagall that he thinks that Draco gave the necklace to Katie Bell to give to someone at the castle McGonagall's like that's a very serious accusation to make Mr. Potter I can't quite do that. That was was not the right accent. (laughs) I can't do it. I'm no Jim Dale. I'm not even a little French. Yeah, (laughs) that was fucking terrible. McGonagall says that was a very serious accusation to make. You don't have any fucking evidence, and Draco is here doing detention with me. So once again, nobody believes. Harry Potter, that Draco Malfoy is up to some bullshit, and the trio are left speculating who the target of this attack actually was. And that's what happens in this week's chapters. All right, so we're back to Quidditch. Oy vey. Harry decided to start with a basic test, asking all applicants for the team to divide into groups of ten and fly once around the pitch. This was a good decision. The first ten was made up of first years, and it could not have been plainer that they had hardly ever flown before. Only one boy managed to remain airborne for more than a few seconds, and he was so surprised he promptly crashed into one of the goalposts. The second group was comprised of ten of the silliest girls Harry had ever encountered, who, when he blew his whistle, merely fell about giggling and clutching one another. Romilda Vane was amongst them. When he told them to leave the pitch, they did so quite cheerfully and went to sit in the stands to heckle everyone else. The third group had a pile-up halfway around the pitch. Most of the fourth group had come without broomsticks. The fifth group were Hufflepuffs. If there's anyone else here who's not from Gryffindor, roared Harry, who was starting to get seriously annoyed, leave now, please. There was a pause. Then a couple of little Ravenclaws went sprinting off the pitch, snorting with laughter. And this is nice. This is a funny scene. It's good. We didn't have any Quidditch in the last book, so what is Harry Potter without our favorite nonsensical magical sports? Yeah, and it always makes for just sort of like, not relaxing, but kind of like non-plot essential kind of character building little scene. Not character building, like... It's character building, but like you see the characters up to funny stuff. Well, it's part of also this book's kind of false return to normalcy 
before everything completely falls apart and for they go camping the wizarding world. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's hilarious to see all these like randos show up for tryouts. It's just a really funny kind of like clown car scene where it's just like da 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 everybody's like just being super weird all these first years that like literally can't even fly yeah i think it's just a nice comedic set piece i love saying the word set piece but i think that's what this is i don't know it's kind of annoying there's a very like you don't even go here yes kind of a vibe to it which Um, is hysterical (laughs) that being said the structure of the triads themselves specifically the keeper tryouts is really stupid to me they just guard five penalty shots total in like one round yeah they don't go for multiple rounds they don't play in like real play i mean it's like if you i almost said auditioned it's like (laughs) it's like if you auditioned for basketball by just shooting free throws. Yeah, like, all right, everybody's got 10 free throws. And uh, if you make nine, you're not on. But if you make 10, you are on. Then, it's like, Shaq totally would never arbitrary. have been in the NBA. Exactly. <laughs> There's no. I mean, I guess they are, like, they do have to show their specific, like, keeping skills. Yeah, but. But keeping in on a penalty is really different from keeping when there's like other shit going on. Right. And like people are darting like keeping with what do they call the chasers? Keeping from the chasers who are just kind of lining up to like right. shoot on goal. Right? That's really different. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, it's one of the things people don't like about like soccer. In tournament soccer, like in the World Cup, uh in the knockout stages. If you go past extra time and the score is still tied, it ends in basically each team gets five penalty kicks. And with the size of the goal, it's almost like a dice roll, you know, or I guess a coin flip is a better analogy. Like the keeper decides which way to like leap for the ball. Maybe they have a decent idea from watching hours and hours of like tapes of their opponent taking like penalties but it's not actually a great way to determine who wins but at that point it's like somebody has to win so they just go ahead and do it that way because there's like not really a better way to determine the winner unless they just decide to like play endlessly which i guess is what happens in quidditch but um which again is why this is a really bad gauge of whether somebody's going to be good at keeping in an actual gameplay situation this is a just seems like a totally ridiculous way to try out for this particular role on the team i mean i guess she couldn't really have a scene with like realistic keeper tryouts and drills it's just a way to like she could have just this, say, a drama- this like dramatic moment but i guess she could have had like time passes while Cormac and ron like did all these other like tasks and were evenly matched and then harry decided all right it's down to penalties yeah it just i mean also like we never excuse things that are dumb because like oh it would have been hard to write it a different way that's so true. that's a bad argument <laughs> well i mean rolling's not the best at sports the mechanics of sports. She's she great at really the culture and like culture. feeling of sports. Like she gets the emotional truth of like watching and participating in sports, but the actual like gameplay is not her forte. I don't know. Some of the Quidditch game like live scenes are are pretty fun. Yeah. Like the World Cup is fun. This just happens to be a really silly way to try out for keeper. <laughs> also, why not just have a backup keeper? Yeah, they have no bench. There's no reserves. Harry's like, all right, I got my seven. I am the captain of an incredibly dangerous sport where people are routinely 
routinely receive like gruesome injuries, but uh, we probably won't need anyone to like come in for an injured player at any point in the season. That is a totally strange thing about like, Quidditch. You should have like twelve people. Oh my god, you, you should have like thirty people. <laughs> You should have a huge bench in Quidditch. He's like seven. All right, also, we're good. These games can go on for days. I mean, Harry played a game and had all his bones removed at the end of it. Like and you they might need a backup forfeit. seeker. Like yeah. what? I don't. They didn't forfeit that game. They won it. He was had just broken his. He oh, broke his, it yeah. while he grabbed mm-hmm. it. But other games, because of his injuries, they've had to forfeit. Yeah, or they've just lost. So just yeah. the one against Cedric Diggory, R.I.P. They uh they need a bench badly. <laughs> Cormac McLaggen is just I guess in these books now. Where did he come from? He's it's so random. A completely random character. I don't object to the introduction of him. It's kind of fun to have this like kind of sea villain Gryffindor. Like he's not even really a villain. He's just like a swaggy braggy. Yeah, he's an obstacle. Yeah, he's irritating. But I mean he's not villainous. That's true. But it's just, He's it's just, just a, very J.K. Rowling to be like, also, there's more Gryffindors. Here they are. <laughs> like, Hermione super cheats to Dude. get Ron on the team, but. Horrendously yeah, cheats. Yeah, super duper This is cheats. completely, like, unethical. It's really unfair. But I have to say, there is more to team cohesion than being absolutely perfect at this completely arbitrary trial. Yeah. And McLagan would be a bad team member. So Hermione should just be the manager of the Gryffindor Quidditch team? Hermione should be the manager of everything. <laughs> but she's right that the team chemistry would be way off. You don't want somebody... Well, also, like, that's the kind of player that gets ejected. And as we just mentioned, there's no option to have your keeper ejected and keep playing. There's no <laughs> second keeper to jump in. Yeah. So, He's no, bad, he'd be a bad uh, addition to the team. Culture fit. Yes, bad, bad culture fit. fit. So Hermione cheating for Ron is supposed to be kind of like sweet, but I think it's also a metaphor for like all the unseen like emotional labor Hermione does just so that Ron can like be comfortable and like happy moving through the world. Like she's constantly just dealing with shit like on the side for Ron. Well, Hermione in general is just doing like a lot of like just emotional work for both of the boys. Like she has to work out all the Cho stuff like for Harry. Uh, And Harry like actually sees her doing that work, even if it's not like recognized. But, you know, Hermione's like constantly propping up Ron so that he won't just like have a meltdown, whether it's like helping him with his home, like giving him her homework notes or fucking like winning his tryout for him. And Ron, like, never, maybe he comes around and, like, recognizes this from Hermione, but not in my, not as far as I remember. I mean, he loves Hermione, but. Well, and maybe not in the books. Yeah. Does he actually, like, acknowledge all of the work she does to, yeah, just, like, keep him, like, okay and moving through the world without, like, collapsing under the weight of his own idiocy. <laughs> just overall, we're getting, she's sort of ramping up the Ron and Hermione moments, and Mostly those moments consist of jealousy and bickering. They are extremely annoying. And I guess that's the sexual tension between them we're meant to think, but I don't know. It just feels like tension. They just seem tense. 
would you like look at two people that like fight a lot and think, yeah, those two belong together? Yeah, they don't see eye to eye on like anything. Right. Besides like being anti-Voldemort, they have like fairly fundamentally different ways of being in the world and looking at things. Yeah, in a way that is like going to make for a pretty bad partnership. Right, yeah. I mean, people can have like really different views and be together successfully, obviously. But it's not their views. It's just like how they handle shit. And that is hard on a marriage. Like, I guarantee you they are going to disagree about money for the rest of their lives. (laughs) And like that is toxic to a marriage. Like there are just all these ways like they do their homework in a way that's sort of diametrically opposed and believe really different things about like responsibility and kind of like showing up for people and taking risks and all this shit. Or Hermione's like really misaligned on sort of fundamental things that make couplehood work. Or Hermione's eventually just gonna get fucking tired of carrying the weight for Ron and it's just gonna become really toxic. This dynamic could become really toxic. Yeah, I wonder Especially if it does. the lack of communication, because they're clearly both into each other right now. Nobody's ever talking about it. They haven't learned any of their lessons from book four, where they had the huge blow up before the Yule Ball, where Ron didn't ask her, and then Hermione said, like, if you want to, like, ask me to the ball, like, just fucking do it, and not as a last resort. Yeah. And now the same thing is happening, where they're, like, sitting in the three broomsticks, and... Hermione is, like, making jabs at Ron because he thinks Madame Rosmerta is, like, fucking hot. Yeah, it's really unfair of Hermione to begrudge Ron, like, feelings for other women when she has never expressed her feelings for him. Right. Well, she sort of did in book four. No, like, a I little mean, bit. she mostly was like, it's fucking insulting to ask me to the dance at the very last minute because, like, you realize I'm a girl. Like, (laughs) you're supposed to understand the kind of double meaning that also she's into him. But what she says to him is basically, like, don't be rude. Yeah. But meanwhile, like, Lavender Brown is, as, like, a giggly, stupid girl, I guess, like, showing her interest for Ron in a way that I actually find totally normal. She fucking smiles at him. And I guess smiling at him is this, like, capital offense in the sort of Hermione and Harry world because I don't know it's like silly but unless you're not smiling enough like Narcissa Malfoy is always frowning Lavender Brown is handling her shit perfectly well and Hermione is just like and it's like girl for all of your lecturing the boys about like emotional maturity like you're failing at that oh they make each other terrible they do actually really like both ron and hermione even though we always dump on ron just because ron's actually really fun outside of this hermione and a good friend and loyal and brave and all that gryffindor shit but uh when they're together they're awful i think they're really (laughs) ill-matched they fight constantly People will probably, we're probably going to get a little pushback on this because they're a, they're a beloved couple. ship them really hard. Well, you don't Even, have to ship them. They are shipped. Well, no, I know. But like you, ships that end up together are still ships. Like Hinny is well, still a ship. I'm so far behind this like lingo. Um, but even J.K. Rowling thinks it was a stupid decision. To, <laughs> like it was stupid. I love the <laughs> like I hate her weird revisionism on Twitter, but I totally agree with her that like also I think we've talked about this a little bit before, but Hermione and Harry actually have really nice chemistry and pretty good communication and are there for each other in very tangible ways. I think they could easily have ended up together. I actually like Harry and Ginny as well, and they have experiences in common that like really matter. And obviously, the like the deepest desire of Harry's heart 
is to be a Weasley. So I get why he ends up with Ginny. I'm actually not anti Harry and Ginny. But I think Harry and Hermione would have been a really sweet match. The times when Ron and Hermione work together is when they're concerned about Harry. That's when they're really on the same page and working really cohesively. But that's also a weird dynamic. Well, right. Because, and yeah. They, you can't ask, uh, like, I feel like there's, like, this weird codependency there. Are they a thruple? Because you can't, like, ask this, like, third outsider to, like, sort of be the reason that your marriage works. I think that's something that, like, happens a lot. I mean, that's like having a kid to save your marriage. Right. It's like, okay, if we have this thing in common, like, maybe we can sort of work together. But... That's still like a flawed I mean, partnership. I mean, I think just sans Harry, this wouldn't be a thing at all. No, I don't think so either. Also, they hated each other from the word go. You and know? I actually really dislike the idea that like, oh, like hate turns into love. Because it's like, if you have like a fundamental problem with how someone sort of exists and moves through the world, like, yeah, don't marry them. Rowling is kind of enamored of this idea of enmity turning into romantic love because Lily also hates James at first and then they get together for reasons that I don't think are ever fully explained like Lupin and Sirius basically just tell Harry that James cleaned up his act and then they got together I think this dynamic in literature or like in storytelling allows characters to be unkind and sort of blind to each other's feelings and still get what they want which I guess is probably realistic but I guess that's not the the wavelength I resonate on. So I just find that to be kind of an irritating trope. And it's such a YA trope. Maybe because like it's impossible to get along with teenage boys. <laughs> so in order for like any teenage relationships to be successful, you have to date someone that you kind of hate. Right. Because like teenagers kind of hate each other. This is also a reason why there should be some fucking LGBTQ characters in these books. Because, like, how they relate to each other doesn't have all this gross, like, male-female bullshit. And maybe we could watch a different kind of relationship develop between people who, like, had things in common in a different way. Yeah. Also, in general, like, we just need some non-hetero bullshit in these books. For the love of... There's so much fucking heterosexual bullshit. And we just need a different model at least once somewhere in here. There is this really cute scene where Harry's like, I don't know why so many people signed up for Quidditch practice. And Hermione's like, because you got hot as fuck, buddy. (laughs) In this way that's so like, it's so funny because she's being really straightforward and she's not sort of like cooing about it or like, she's not saying like, I think you're hot as fuck. She's just like, objectively, you got super sexy and now people are into you. And Ron is like, oh my God, I'm so uncomfortable and angry right now. And he's like, well, I'm tall. (laughs) so like that i just that's a that's a super cute funny little dynamic scene but it's also another example of men just being like sexually guileless in these books right and like women being the keepers of sexual knowledge in a way that is like doesn't really ring true to me there's no universe in which harry doesn't notice the different effect he's having on women i mean i guess it's possible it's i just find it unlikely Harry's not, like, he's, horny at all. Also, Harry's, he's not, she's still writing the boys, like, children. Yeah. And Harry's he's 16. 16. Like, Harry's got so many boners every day. Yeah, love a corpus, man. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> at night. <laughs> you know. Speaking of Harry, this is peak, as opposed to emo Harry, we've already started to talk about, kind of, like, 
no need to call me sir, Professor Harry. This is no fucks given, Harry. Dude, yeah, he is. This is full on YOLO, Harry. He fucking threatens to blow ha- the doors off Hagrid's house. He's like, get the fuck out of here, out here, Hagrid, or I'm gonna like huff and puff and blow your house yeah. down. <laughs> and like, Hagrid's what? like, are you kidding right now? And Harry's like, absolutely not. Harry's like, I've got a fucking death rod right here and i'm gonna fucking use it if i have to (laughs) well and then he's just randomly like he jinxes filch in the hallway (laughs) which would have gotten him detention for a year in book one and everybody should be expulsion yeah you're assaulting like a a staff member no i know you are and he he also has his or crabber goyle he like fucks with crabber goyle and, and crab and or goyle in some way. Gives them fucking long toenails. You can't just be out here cursing people in the hallways. Yeah, what the fuck, dude? I don't know how he's getting away with this. Again, he's got this, like, boy who lived swagger, and he's, like, really taking advantage of it. It's ridiculous that he is just trying out these random spells that he doesn't know what they do, like, on his friend. Yeah, I don't know what That's <laughs> a totally bizarre moment. I also don't understand the mechanics of these Half-Blood Prince spells at all. This is the first time we've seen spell development, and it's by a teenager, and you just think that this is something we would have known about before, especially with all the really gifted witches and wizards in this book. Like, wouldn't Dumbledore have, like, invented a really famous charm? Or Hermione? Or, yeah, Hermione hasn't invented any charms, and she's supposed to be, like, the smartest bitch of all. Yeah, uh, I I don't know. So, like, young Snape is just waving his wand and saying words and seeing if it worked. Yeah, I don't understand the mechanics here. Pointing his wand at nothing in particular, he gave it an upward flick and said, Levicorpus, inside his head. Ah! There was a flash of light, and the room was full of voices. Everyone had woken up as Ron had let out a yell. Harry sent advanced potion-making flying in panic. Ron was dangling upside down in midair, as though an invisible hook had hoisted him up by the ankle. Sorry, yelled Harry as Dean and Seamus roared with laughter, and Neville picked himself up from the floor, having fallen out of bed. Hang on, I'll let you down. He groped for the potion book and riffled through it in panic, trying to find the right page. At last, he located it and deciphered one cramped word underneath the spell. Praying that this was the counterjinx, Harry thought, Libera corpus, with all his might. There was another flash of light, and Ron fell in a heap onto his mattress. Sorry, repeated Harry weakly, while Dean and Seamus continued to roar with laughter. Tomorrow, said Ron in a muffled voice, I'd rather you set the alarm clock. When I don't understand how he can then write down new spells that he's invented and Harry would be able to successfully reproduce them because I thought we were given to understand that magic involves some, like, focus and intention. So how can Harry say a spell without really knowing what it does? Yeah, and, like, you're just pull it saying off? a random word and you, he doesn't even know the wand motions. He just sort of points his wand and thinks a word in that case wouldn't people be casting accidental spells all the time (laughs) if lots of i guess these are all kind of like weird latin words but if all these words are just like randomly associated with magic and you have to like unlock them or whatever this just seems like it would get out of control really quickly yeah like 
Did all Snape have to do was buy an English to Latin dictionary? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Is Does all it take to be like an incredible sorcerer in these books? Like literally fucking learning Latin? Because muggles could do that. And have. But yeah. I guess they don't have like the actual magic power. Or whatever, Remember when you took Latin? I was not very good at God, Latin. God, that was a disaster. You'd it be was. horrible at developing spells. Uh, Yes, I would be. Another like give no fucks Harry example is this confrontation with Mundungus where he's like choking him out and Tonks is like Harry like get a grip stop yeah (laughs) he's gone you're fine and I don't know I mean he sort of deserves to like go hard at Mundungus but it's just like in broad daylight he's just like you know what come the fuck at me are you Voldemort no then we're fine (laughs) sure like punish the boy who lived like let's see Mundungus is a piece of shit, Mundungus to be fair. Mundungus is such a piece of shit. No, Mundungus deserves this. It's just hilarious that Harry is just like, honestly, like, hold me back, bro. But don't. No one even holds Harry, like... No. <laughs> barely holds Harry back. We also have this scene with Hagrid, who's not in a great place, because Aragog is about to spin his final web. And, uh... Are all the what are the like spider children doing? They're not like they're like not listening to Hagrid anymore or something. The the young no, they're just like freaking out. Yeah, the they're, spider like, having a lot of feelings. Yeah, they're it, like shit is like off in the Forbidden Forest. I guess I get Hagrid's mournfulness here. He's known Aragog for a long time. He, unlike most witches and wizards, treats other sentient beings as equals. Uh, so that makes sense. But also, I can empathize with Ron's, like, barely concealed revulsion here, because Aragog did straight up try to murder Harry and Ron, and Hagrid never really apologized for that. Yeah, honestly... I guess Aragog didn't, but Aragog... Allowed his siblings and children to. Yeah. Like, commanded them to, essentially. He was like, I can't fucking stop them. Like, (laughs) do you, spider babies. Harry and Ron should honestly continue to be very pissed at Hagrid about a bunch of things. It's mind-boggling how many things they've just sort of, like, forgiven or swept under the rug with Hagrid. Yeah. Like, the number of times he's almost sort of accidentally killed them slash ruined their lives. Dude, he lets them take the fall for Norbert. I know, you're still mad about that. In book one. And then he, like, acts like they just got detention for something that they did and not him. Come on, man. And I guess, whatever, Hagrid's, like, lovable or whatever, so... Yeah, but... He sort of gets a pass, but... He gets a big, giant ha-ha. Ah, ha-ha. He gets a big pass for stuff that, I don't know, does he deserve a pass? Like, shouldn't they have had a slightly sterner talking to with him after Grop, like, (laughs) really almost killed Hermione? And... He's just like, why didn't you come, like, help me feed Grop? And there's, like, there's a fucking reason we're not taking your class, bro. And it's because it is an awful combination of boring, niche, and dangerous as shit. (laughs) None of it is good. Uh, Also, like, none of us are going to be fucking zookeepers. Yeah. Like, this is totally useless to us. It's not really fair of Hagrid to be mad at them for not taking his class, uh, which was, as we've said at best, inconsistent. Although, it'd be cool to, like, hang out with a Niffler, I guess. Yeah, but more often than not, he was like, here's something that can kill you. What if you just put your arm in there? See what happens. <laughs> His monster thing is outrageous. And yeah, Aragog, it's like you sort of feel empathy with his devotion to Aragog, but then you're like, you're the only 
sort of humanish being that Aragog doesn't want to murder. So like, forgive me if I'm not that into him as like a friend. Yeah, I, I don't. Should we drag Hagrid super hard for this? No, I can't tell. I don't. I mean, I don't want to drag him hard. I just want to say like he could be a little bit more understanding of why Harry and Ron in particular might be like. I don't know that I'm the saddest that that murder <laughs> spider is dying. Like, I, sure, I guess it's like rough for you, but I don't think I'm going to partake that deeply in this grief. Is this the first real break between Hagrid and the trio? It's not even really a break. Yeah. Like, I don't think this really counts. They like have a tiff. Right. But he gets over it really fast. That is the thing I like about Hagrid is he's very forgiving. He's very loving. Even when he's like fucking pissed at them, they come into his house. He's like, rawr, rawr, rawr. but the first thing he does is fucking make them tea and cake. So Rock he's cakes. Just, but still, cake that he likes. <laughs> so Hagrid's, I mean, he's a good guy. And part of his being just like naturally incredibly loving and welcoming means that he is that way toward other creatures. All which, creatures great and terrifying. As you said, actually puts him at a vast advantage over a lot of wizards who like don't treat non-wizard magical creatures with any kind of respect. And it is nice that Hagrid is respectful of other beings, but sometimes he takes it a little fucking far. Well, he also does, okay, he doesn't respect like the real politic also or whatever of like how those beings, like he's naive about them often. Yeah, that's Which is true. its own kind of but weird problem. because no, he understands giant society really well. That's true. Like, he explains the sort of, like, inner workings of how the giant wars came about really effectively. So I think he gets it. I don't actually think Hagrid is, like, stupid. Yeah. No, he's, he's like, just, he's quite smart. Yeah, and he has a lot of emotional intelligence. And he just Very sort of savvy, yeah. applies his empathy and generosity of spirit like a little far sometimes <laughs> and he's less good at extending that to humans than animals sometimes yeah. or not his empathy but like he just doesn't think that hard about like how people are going to respond to monsters well i mean it sort of makes sense because he was fucking cast out of wizard society virtually so like why should he think too hard about what wizards care about yeah that's true no i don't actually really blame haggard i just also don't blame them for not being that into aragog it's just it's fun it is funny that this kind of comedic foible of haggard's is genuinely like treacherous massively dangerous <laughs> which i think is a great uh, a great move on rolling spark i do too i actually think this is <laughs> i think it's really fun i think this is a fun and unique character trait that she's come up with like being really into monsters is a really interesting kind of chief characteristic for one of her main characters. And it's, it is, it it puts them, and it puts them in contact with like the wider world in a way that's really useful. Like Hagrid's affection for monsters drives the plot in really useful ways a lot of times. Because a lot of times these monsters like have something to offer. It's just they also want to kill you. Right. So it's like a whole thing. Yeah, there you go. But she uses it to great effect as a plot device, I would say. Uh, this necklace is really fucking scary. This is like a scene from The Exorcist. Dude. It's a terrifying moment. At once, Katie rose into the air, not as Ron had done, suspended comically by the ankle, but gracefully, her arms outstretched as though she was about to fly. Yet there was something wrong, something eerie. Her hair was whipped around her by the fierce wind, but her eyes were closed and her face was quite empty of expression. Harry, Ron, Hermione, and Leanne had all halted in their tracks, watching. 
Then, six feet above the ground, Katie let out a terrible scream. Her eyes flew open, but whatever she could see or whatever she was feeling was clearly causing her terrible anguish. She screamed and screamed. Leanne started to scream too and seized Katie's ankles, trying to tug her back to the ground. Harry, Ron, and Hermione rushed forward to help, but even as they grabbed Katie's legs, she fell on top of them. Harry and Ron managed to catch her, but she was writhing so much they could hardly hold her. Instead, they lowered her to the ground where she thrashed and screamed, apparently unable to recognize any of them. Horrifying. Also, Harry, bet you wish you had a backup chaser now. Ha <laughs> ha, see? I mean, he's gonna have to... Doesn't he use McLagan? Oh, does he? I forget. Uh, I honestly well, don't remember find what out. happens. Yeah. She gets better, though. That's I read good. ahead. Oh, thank God. <laughs> I was worried. I read the first sentence of the next chapter, and it was like, Katie Bell goes to St. Mungo's, and I was like, oh, that's not good. It's sort of irritating that still no one is listening to Harry about Draco, because we've just gotten to a point in these books where we should be seeing a pattern <laughs> with Harry Potter being like something is amiss and it being true. To be fair, in the last book, he was like dead wrong about Sirius, but like he knew some shit was going down. That is true. And he has at various points been able to see into Voldemort's mind. He was right about Mr. Weasley. It's just like, this is the actual chosen one. Like, would you trust this kid? It would definitely be worth questioning Draco. It would. Like, just check in. Just ask. I guess the Ministry raids his house. Yeah, but what he witnessed in Borgen and Burks is genuinely incredibly sketchy. And... McGonagall is like, eh, that doesn't seem like much. And it's definitely much. He's like saying, I possess a dark magical object and I'm going to bring it with me to school. He's saying, you possess one that I also want you to fix. He shows him something on his arm. This is just real. This is enough reasonable suspicion to open an official inquiry, I would say. I agree. I mean, I get. I don't know. I guess we don't want to like deprive Draco of due process. Well, this is just do some due process. But there's though. also no due process in the wizarding yeah. world. <laughs> also, if if anybody doesn't deserve it, it's Draco. Whatever. Everybody fucking deserves due process. Harry That's doesn't get due process, and no. we saw how. Uh, not even remotely. How badly that went. So I just think, yeah, maybe check in on this McGonagall. Because Harry seems to kind of know a lot these days. Right. The fact that Draco is in detention doesn't, like, necessarily exonerate him. But No. Whatever. And also, you saw him looking at the item in the shop that then made it almost into Hogwarts. That's enough. That's reasonable suspicion. That's a fucking search warrant. Maybe not. I don't actually know. I'm not a lawyer. Or a police <laughs> officer. But it seems like that should be enough to kind of ask him some questions. Does Dumbledore know about Draco? Yeah, he does. But, but McGonagall probably does. McGonagall's like not... I don't think Dumbledore tells McGonagall more than she needs to know. So she's not in on this. Probably in some respects to protect McGonagall. That's true. So if he went straight to Dumbledore and was like, Draco's trying to kill someone, Dumbledore would be like, uh, no... And then, like, I don't know, deal with it behind the scenes. Pop, I don't like, fucking know what he would do. A candy or something? Yeah. I don't know. He would be like, let's go into the pensive. Well, I mean, I guess what's happening is Dumbledore's trying to protect Draco from Voldemort's wrath. 
So Dumbledore knows he can't outright foil Draco's plot in a way that just makes him seem like a fuck up. Right. Because that's what, like, what Voldemort is looking for Draco to do because he wants to punish Draco severely or right. punish the Malfoys by hurting like Draco. hurting Draco. So, so, I mean, there's like some like seven dimensional Dumbledore chess going on here. Right. But how much McGonagall is clued Probably. into that, I'm not sure. But this is a moment when maybe McGonagall is clued in because she doesn't take this seriously at all. And it's like a serious story. Wow, this goes all the way to the top. I have literally okay, literally goes all the way to the top. I just don't know how far to the bottom it goes. The fact that Harry doesn't emerge from this is just like an incredible conspiracy theorist is pretty I mean, remarkable. Do we know that he doesn't? I don't know. I don't know what the rest of Harry's life is like per se, but pretty fucking complicated and harrowing in a lot of ways. He's got bad PTSD. He's got a cursed child. Yeah. Eventually. It's, true. it's also this ridiculous Harry Potter moment when he decides that he knows the exact mechanics of the necklace and just picks it up with his scarf. (laughs) Like, zero checking in on, like, maybe, like, what kind of material it needs to be surrounded by in order to count as not touching it. He's just like, uh, I think we're probably fine. And he fucking picks it up. He He, could die. He could have levitated it. He could have done a lot of things that wasn't just be like, I'm pretty sure I'm okay. So hairy. It's not even a magic scarf. Unless the fact that Mrs. Weasley made it, imbued it with, like, the power of love or something. Yeah, this is just a mother's love scarf. Highly possible. That's true. You never know. You fucking never know with the whole mother's love charm thing. It does. It's good for a lot. It's pretty multifunctional, indeed. (laughs) I have one more question about the necklace. How is Borgen and Burks allowed to sell this shit? Like, the wizarding world is so regulated. We've got Percy Weasley working on, like... 100-page cauldron-bottom-thickness regulations. Like, yeah, are I don't you know supposed why to say, it's... like, oh, this is, like, a gift for... W- w- what? This is a death necklace. Yeah, like, in like, what purpose could it possibly serve other than killing someone? I mean, I guess we could ask that question about any, like... Guns? Wep- yeah, weapon in general, but, I mean... But it's... So hidden. everyone... Yeah, everyone no, has that's a... that's different. That's true. A weapon is different because you can see what it is. I mean, this is more like selling, like, a switchblade that looks like just a... I don't know. Like, you know, sometimes there's, like, knives. Like a kaleidoscope. Things. Yeah, like a kaleidoscope that... Has a blade in it that comes your out. Eye. What, is, what movie is that from? That's from Oklahoma. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oklahoma oh, it's is like It's not dark. a kaleidoscope. It's, like, fucking pornography. Yeah, it's like a like a like one of those porno glasses. Yeah, but it has a switchblade in it. So... That's more like what this is, which those are illegal because a gun or a knife or whatever, it's like for some kind of bodily harm, whether you claim it's for an animal or whatever. But this is like (laughs) hidden. This is like secret death mechanism. It's not even, Borgen and Burks isn't even like this underground dark art shop. They have like a storefront and like... A fucking shingle outside. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you just wander. Hermione just goes in there. They would have sold her anything. <laughs> Do you have any murder necklaces? <laughs> it's like, I've got just what you're looking for, man- like, madam. What? Yeah, wild. I guess people have them as like curios maybe. And they're like, ah, yes, this is like. Like it's like a collector's like item? Like an antique. Like you wouldn't touch it. You'd be like, this is the famous like cursed diamond of the. Sea. Yeah, whatever family, you know? Um, oh, I just went straight to sea. The sea, yeah. <laughs> this is the heart of the ocean, exactly. or whatever. Uh, the also cursed, cursed heart of the ocean. The cursed heart of the ocean, and that's why the Titanic sank. 
Yep, hot take. Is that what it's called in that movie? It's the heart. Is it the heart of the ocean? Yeah. All right. Well, anyway, uh, fucking Borgen and Burks. Who's your unsung hero? My unsung hero is Leanne, Katie Bell's friend, who fucking does her due diligence on the package. She paid attention during Dumbledore's start of term speech and is trying to keep fucking evil shit out of Hogwarts. Yeah, she definitely does. Good for her. True. It's tough to stand up to your friends. I think 50 points to fucking Gryffindor or whatever. At the very end, At of, the the very year, end of the year. Justice Slytherin is about to win. <laughs> Leanne wins it all. McConnell will be like, ah, yes. Because Dumbledore is dead at the end of the year. Leanne, who is, again, brand new Gryffindor. Never seen before. Never seen again. Just I mean, a- there's a lot of... The, the school's supposed to be pretty big. There's like... It fills up the stands, right? I know, well, we already had this discussion books, about how many people go to the school. But regardless, it's completely it's been six unclear. Books and we basically haven't read it. It's been six books, and we haven't really met a new Gryffindor other than the Creevies in six books. So she's just piling on a lot of new characters. This is true. For convenient plot movement. Yeah. My unsung hero are all of the giggling girls at the Quidditch tryout who have no intention of getting on the Quidditch team, totally fuck up, and then just heckle from the stands. (laughs) Which sounds like an extremely good Saturday morning. They know what they're about. They know sports are stupid. And they're like, honestly, what if we just like go out there and make a fool of ourselves and like have a good time? (laughs) Which like, do you girls? That sounds fun. Yeah, man. Romilda Vane seems like she's got a sense of humor. I mean, she shouldn't do a love potion. Yeah. Nobody should. But yeah, Romilda seems fun. And she, but and she's nasty about Neville and Luna, so that's oh, not good. Oh, yeah, that's All right. mean. Maybe she's the worst. Okay, but I still think this is a funny scene. I do, too. Um, One final note. R.I.P. Hannah Abbott's mom. Oh, yeah. We completely forgot to mention this in the summary, but her mom dies, which is awful. And she gets, like, taken out of school. Of course. Because I presumably because a death eater like got to her. Seems like the Hufflebuffs take a disproportionate amount of casualties. Well, isn't that the whole point of the play Puff? Yeah. Where it's just like we all die. Yeah, they're just the fucking foot soldiers in this Gryffindor Slytherin war. It's true, it's really sad. Bless and the Huffs. Fucking Madame Bless Bones the- is dead too. Bless the Puffs. It's and so, true. And so, I don't know Bones if Madame Bones was a Hufflepuff, but her Susan Bones her, is Hufflepuff. Yeah, her and it runs in nieces. families. Yeah, so Fuck. Oh, man. Really sad. Our high puffs. Oh, no. Rest in puffs. Rest in puffs. This week's episode is brought to you by Borkin and Burks, a.k.a. Evil K Jewelers. <laughs> Every curse begins with K. Hell, yeah. That was very good. It doesn't, but I really liked that. <laughs> Every curse begins with K. The audiobook clips that you heard are courtesy of Penguin Random House Audio. They are, of course, from Jim Dale's performance of Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. You can do all the shit you do with podcasts, rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. We would really love that. Uh, Listen elsewhere if that's your jam, Stitcher, Google Play, I don't know, wherever else you are. You can email us, quibblerpodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on social media at quibblerpodcast across the various platforms. And uh, yeah, we're here to chat. Tweet at us, DM us. Do you. Don't say mean shit, please. Yeah, don't be mean to us. You guys like never are, so I don't even know why I said that. I'm just like freaked out about mean stuff on the internet. Anyway, next week we will be reading the chapters called The Secret Riddle and Felix Felicis. So that should be fun. Thanks.
Yes, amigos. And it doesn't hurt that you've grown about a foot over the summer either, Hermione finished, ignoring Ron. I'm tall, said Ron inconsequentially. Harry had pinned Mundungus against the wall of the pub by the throat. Holding him fast with one hand, he pulled out his wand. Where were the other drugs going? I know, spluttered Mundungus, who was slowly turning purple. I never knew. I don't know. I swear to God. Swear to me! 